you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? We are starting this uh, new series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And um, one of the hopes, and I hope this will be your hope, um, one of your hopes throughout this series, is that we will become more committed in our own daily prayer life as we study, as we study this. So we're gonna, it's going to take six weeks or so. Um, I ask you during this time, uh, will you consider just taking a few moments every day, the best time for you, but I'm, I'm going to um, suggest the beginning, sometime during the beginning of the day, take a few minutes, pray to the Lord. Um, I believe that there are breakthroughs when we pray. There's breakthroughs in our, our world when we pray. There's breakthroughs in our hearts when we pray. Now, the Bible does not record many instances of the disciples asking Jesus to specifically teach them something, which is kind of interesting because the word disciple, it means learner. And these are learners of Christ, the disciples. And uh, they're... They do not ask the Lord to teach them anything specific, like, um, Lord, teach us more about God, or Lord, will you teach us how to uh, be happy <laughs> and worry less? Uh, Lord, teach us how to forgive. He doesn't, they, they don't ask him things like that. But there is one time when they do say, Lord, teach us to do something, and it's in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Um, they saw Jesus praying and knew that there were breakthroughs happening when Jesus prayed. Lord, teach us to pray. And we read of another instance, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer at, at that, that moment. We read another instance when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, and that's Matthew 6. Um, and let's go ahead and read that now. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, do not uh, be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their, war- their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, It's interesting, before Jesus teaches how to pray, he mentions how not to pray. Uh, He's telling this crowd of Jews, that's the setting of what we just read, telling this crowd of Jews, 
when you pray, uh, don't be a hypocrite. And when he said that word, um, what came to people's minds were the actors of their day, because that is what the word hypocrite in Jesus' day referred to, actors, people who would wear a mask and put on a show in order to get some response from the audience. And so Jesus is comparing the wrong way to pray with that, putting on a mask, putting on a show, trying to get a response out of an audience. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like this. Don't try to impress God with your prayer. Like, God, I'm going to impress you. I'm going to win you over. I'm going to say this prayer just right. I'm going to say the words often enough to get your attention. I'm going to win you over with what I say or how I say it. See, Jesus wants to remove our fear and frustration with prayer. And you probably, at some point or another, felt frustrated with prayer. Jesus wants to remove the fear and frustration. He says, do not worry. You don't have to impress God. You see, God knows what you need even before you ask him. So let's take this worry of you getting what you need out of the equation. Because God knows what you need. He knows you have bills to pay. He knows you have tough things coming up. He knows you have health worries and worries about doing good enough and being enough and having enough. Jesus says, early on, so we can get that worry out of our minds, God already knows what you need before you ask him. What's the implication of that? If God knows what you need before you ask him, the implication is that God will give you what you need. Why will God do this? Because he's generous. It's interesting that Jesus does not dismiss rewards in this teaching on prayer. He doesn't say, ah, you're just seeking rewards, you selfish people. (laughs) He doesn't do that. Um, Everyone's seeking a reward. My kids, my son over there, uh, doing chores around the house. We'll wash the dishes. They'll say, what will you give us? What will you give us? They want a reward. Oh, well, how about this? Your reward is a roof over your head and food at night. See, Mom and Dad, we talk in terms of rewards. Everyone's seeking rewards. Jesus says, don't worry. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. And your Father gives rewards, Jesus says. So Jesus doesn't remove rewards from prayer. He just says, man, if you're seeking rewards, make sure you get the right one. Get the best one, the one that your father can give to you. God will give to you the reward that you really need. And best of all, you don't have to perform to get the reward. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't act like you've got to earn this or do something perfect in this prayer to get it answered. God's good. He's generous. So prayer begins with remembering who you are praying to. Remember who you are praying to. So Jesus says, begin by praying, Our Father. 
Remember who you are praying to. And there is one thing Jesus is getting at, and it's the very core of our prayer life, and it's this. Our Father is good. Our Father is good. God is good. You actors out there trying to impress and earn and scratch out a living for yourself like it's all riding on you and your performance and your abilities, don't you see? You don't have to do that because God is good. That's what Jesus is saying. He's our Father. Jesus doesn't begin prayer with at least this prayer that he's teaching. Almighty God, O God, immortal, invisible, God only wise, like the great old hymn puts it. That's all true. It's all true about God for sure. But Jesus starts this prayer with what he wants us to know about God more than anything else, and that is God is Father, God is good, and you can trust him. Jesus gives two reasons why we can trust God. Um, We've said this before. Um, He knows what you need before you ask him. And that God gives rewards not because of your performance, but his generosity. You don't have to ace the prayer. You don't have to ace your life. God gives rewards because of his generosity. And not only does Jesus start his prayer with Father, but our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, when you think of heaven, you are not thinking about what Jesus' audience was thinking when he said heaven. By and large, as a whole, People today do not think of heaven in terms, the same terms that ancient Jews thought of heaven. Um, on the whole, today, when people think of heaven, they think of heaven as being far, far, far away, right? Like a galaxy far, far away, way out. I mean, you can't even see it, right? So far away. It's a spiritual place way out where you can't see it. The Jewish concept of heaven was Heaven is all around us. Heaven is the air around us. Let's look at some psalms um, that point this out. Psalm 8, verse 3. The psalmist says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, saying, the moon and the stars, where the moons and the stars are, that's the heavens. That's That's the air around you. That's not some invisible spiritual place in a galaxy far, far away. It's right up there. It's all around us. Psalm 147, verse 8. God covers the heavens with with clouds. Clouds aren't that far away, right? I mean, a couple thousand feet up. It's all around us. Psalm 19, verse 6. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So, I mean, you get the idea. Um, Job 3511. Psalm 79 refer to the birds of the heavens. God has put birds in the heavens. Okay, birds are not far, right? The heavens are all around us. When Jesus prayed, our Father in heaven, what he's pointing out is your Father is all around you. He's right there with you. 
Our Father is distinct from all other fathers, that he is our, our Father in heaven, yes. But God is right there with you. That's what Jesus is pointing out in this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed comes from the word to sanctify or to make holy, to to set apart, to see it as completely different, different from anything else. And so Jesus says, uh, hallowed be your name. And when he says that, he isn't using hallowed as an adjective, like, my shirt is checkered. That's using checkered as an adjective to describe my shirt. And Jesus isn't saying your name is hallowed, using hallowed as an adjective to describe God's name. Hallowed is a verb. It's kind of confusing. How, how do we make that into a verb? Um, but that's, that's the verb form. That's the word Jesus uses, this verb. Make holy your name. Make distinct your name. Uh, Make your name revered. That's another way to think about it. How does that happen? How is God's name sanctified or made holy or set apart or revered? So we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about how God does it. Because we know for God's name to be revered in our hearts... That's got to start with God doing something, right? I mean, it's just got to. But we have a part as well in that. We have a part to play in revering God's name in our hearts. That's what we're going to talk about. So junior hires, I want to release junior hires to go back um, to talk about hallowing God's name. How do we do that? How does God do that? They're dismissed to their discussion group. And folks in here, I want to talk us through God's role and our role in sanctifying, making holy his name. So first, we pray that God sets apart his name in the world. In the world. Um, So this is this request to God, make holy your name. Set it apart from every other name, God. Make your name sacred in all the earth. I've heard one pastor ask this question. If you could be sure that, um, that God would absolutely answer yes to your prayer, let's just say that. You know that God is going to answer your prayer yes and not one of those yeses, but you have to wait 50 years, but yes, right now, I'm going to make it happen right now. If you knew that would happen, but you could only ask for one thing, what would you ask for? Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. Make your name set apart and revered in this world. How many of you think the world would be a better place? You could raise your hand on this one. How many of you think the world would be a better place if more people saw God as as holy and his name holy and revered? How many of you think the world would be a better place? Yeah. It doesn't take 
out-of-the-box thinking to imagine what the world would be like if more people would bow their knee before God, revering God's name and actually following him. It would be a great place. There wouldn't be places in Houston that you would avoid walking around at night, right? This world would be a safer place. Um, There wouldn't be as many broken homes, broken marriages falling apart, and kids... um, Uh, suffering, the damaging effects of that. There wouldn't be as much of that. There would be fewer people chasing like crazy fortune and power and stuff like that. Rather, they'd be trying to love one another, serve one another, love their neighbor as themselves. This world, this world is refreshed when God's name is revered. It's just, it's just refreshed. So we are praying that God, that you'd make your name holy in this world. Um, and another reason Jesus says, pray, hallowed be your name, is because that's our purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this. It's kind of a long sentence. In him, in Christ, we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So you were chosen in Christ. It was God's will to choose you in order that, verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God chose you, gave you this purpose that that your life would be about glorifying God. That's your purpose, glorifying God. That you could point others to God's goodness. God is sanctifying his name, making his name holy, and, and we get to point people to that. That's one of the things that Ephesians 1, 11, and 12 is leading us to. As the Westminster Confession the faith of the shorter chasm puts it, the chief aim of man, of humanity, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our chief aim. Life was never meant to be about you making a life for yourself and trying to manufacture life, put it together brick by brick and just kind of pray in these, oh gosh, God, help this to happen. Can't you see I'm trying to build my life here? Just bring me some good, you know. That, that is not what prayer is about. When we pray for God to make his name holy, we are recalibrating our hearts. We are saying, God, what we really need is a whole lot more of you and less of this other stuff. What we really need is a whole lot more of you, God. Now, the other thing that we do, is we pray that we set apart God's name in our hearts. So we're praying, God, make your name holy in the world. Make your name holy in our hearts. We know, God, that you ultimately have to do that, but we have this part to play in that. When we revere God's name, we're responding to something God does, but with the Spirit of God working in us, we can revere his name. We can. And here's what it looks like when we do. So we refer to the Westminster 
Catechism. Let's refer to the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. So it points out three things that happen when we are revering God's name. Um, We revere God's name by believing worthy things of God. So one thing that happens that needs to happen in order for us to revere God's name is we've got to believe worthy things of God. It's hard to revere God's name if we are not thinking and believing the right things about God. Uh, remember the verse that we focused on last week, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That verse says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. That is the same word as hallowed be your name. Hallowed, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So in your heart, have Christ as the holiest, most lovely and beautiful thing that there is. Know the hope that you have in that. When you realize who Christ is and who he is to you, that gives you hope. You have salvation. You have his love for you. You have his plans that he's going to bring about in your life. You have um, his power, and it gives you hope. So believe the right things about God. We revere the Lord's name when we believe truly the right things about him. Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, verse 24, it says this, Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight. So if you want to build a foundation of knowing the right things about the Lord, kindness, he's kind, he's just, and he is right. Those are the things that that please the Lord. Kindness, justice, righteousness. God is kind. That word refers to the kindness that God shows because we are his covenant people. He is our covenant God. Um, Why is that important? Because the whole point of God making a covenant or promises with us is that he's he's creating a, a family for himself. And he invites us to be a part of this family, calls us to be in this family so that you can be absolutely sure that he's going to be kind to you. I mean, you're his family. He's going to be lovingly kind to you. Now think of your prayer life with God. Let's talk about God um, demonstrating his kindness to you as you pray to him. When you pray to God, your Father, Because he's kind, it means he doesn't see your prayer as intrusive or a bother to him. Because he's kind to his family when they pray. When my family calls me on the phone, even when I'm in a meeting, um, truth be told, sometimes I don't answer it in the most friendly of voice, but truth be told, I want to make sure that my family's okay. So I'm answering that phone. I'm texting him. In a meeting, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And God is, God's like that when we pray to him. He's not like, let me put you on hold. He's like, let me make sure my family's okay. He doesn't find that intrusive or bothersome. 
He is committed to you because you are his family. The Lord exercises justice. He is the judge. He is in a position to make judgments, to cause things to happen. Things are going to follow the judgments of God, and God is committed to righteousness, meaning he's committed to the right things happening. And we want what is right. So know these things about the Lord. He's kind, he's just, he's righteous. And that'll help you revere his name in your heart. Two, we revere God's name through our worship. God is worthy of our praise. And the absence of worship is an indicator of a hardened heart towards God. If you worship, if you're singing life, you're really into your worship, into the singing, the, the, the praise. Um, you could be revering God's name in your heart. You really could be. You could be just getting caught up in the moment. That's possible. It's possible, in other words, to worship and not make God's name holy. It's possible to do that. Um, in fact, Jesus says that about some of the people that he traveled around, some of the, the, the Jewish leaders, and he accuses them of worshiping God with their lips, but their hearts being far from God. So it's possible. Um. But the absence of worship is an indicator that you do not revere God in your heart. Like you can worship and maybe not revere God in your heart, but it is, if you're not worshiping, if you're not praising God, that's an indicator of a hardened heart towards God. If there's no inclination to give your life to him, to ever be thankful for his presence or grace, and counting that as precious, if, if that never happens in your heart or your lips to praise God for that, to worship God, it shows you aren't hallowing his name. And if that's you this morning, there's no shame in that. It's just a need, indicates the need to pray to God that he would open your heart to him and who he is and for you to search the scriptures and listen for God that you can revere his name in your heart. And three, we revere God's name by our obedience. Because, of course, if you are revering God's name in your heart, you will want to please God. Revering God's name means revering his presence in your, in your heart. God, you're, you're here with me, and I want to please you. So think of God being with you and wanting to please him. You know that old couple on a Friday night? Honey, let's go out for dinner. Oh, that would be wonderful. Where do you want to go? I don't care wherever you want to go. No, I, I want to go where you want to go. I, I don't care where you go. I just want to go where you want to go. And on they, on they go. I want to go where you want to go. I want to go where you want to go. Hopefully they actually make it out to dinner, right? The point is, they just want to please the other. Because they love one another. If there is no desire in your life to please God, just because it gives him delight when their children are out there loving one another, loving their neighbor as themselves, it's hard to say that you are revering God's name in your heart. 
let's conclude for the week. Uh, when you remember who you are praying to, it will change your prayers. You will remember that ultimately the one that you seek rewards from is the main reward himself. You know, one of, one of the um, things that said of God is, is God is not the cosmic vending machine, right? And that's true. God's not the cosmic vending machine. Um, but sometimes people treat God like that, in prayer like that. I'm just going to the cosmic vending machine. I'm just trying to get stuff from God. And that's wrong for a number of reasons. We're not just going to God to get stuff. But another reason why it's wrong is when you get your drink out of the vending machine, what do you do? You go away. You walk away. We don't go to God in prayer so we can then walk away. We go to God in prayer because God is the ultimate reward himself. He's your reward. This week when you pray, begin, Our Father, God is good. You do not deprive your children of good things. God, you don't need to you don't need me to cajole you in order for you to listen to me. Think, God, you are pleased just coming to you in faith and calling you our Father. You're my Father. Let's pray now. Father, this week as we pray to you, may your name be revered in our hearts. May your name be beautiful to our hearts. We ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that that will happen. We can't manufacture that, but you can bring about that in us. And we ask for that. We pray that uh, you would help us to come to you as our true reward. We thank you for your good gifts, Father. We thank you for all of your blessings But what we know is that we really need you. We need you. You're our reward. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.